Hello, adventuresses, and welcome to the podcast dedicated to women who love horses, travel, and most of all, adventure. My name is Heather, and today I'm here with my partner, Uta, and we are diving into another really cool destination, literally in Uta's backyard. So I'm super excited to hear about this. I'm also glad that she's here because she's going to be able to correct all of my, uh, my enunciation because I'm reading them and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's how it sounds. And then she says it and I'm like, oh yeah, no, I'm not right. So, so welcome Uta. How are you today? I'm good. Yes. Hello, adventurers. Hello, Heather. Great. Uh, I'm so I'm so glad to be here again with you recording this beautiful episode. We are again in Europe and we're talking again about an Alpine country. We're talking about Austria, kind of my home because my grandmother came from Austria. So I'm quarter Austrian, kind of uh, three quarter German. Um, and yeah, it's a tiny country, but it's stuffed with history, culture. We have lots of horses. And of course, we have already talked about the Spanish riding school in Vienna. That was episode 116 and about the Lipizzana horse breed episode 117. So check them out if you're interested. But today we are talking about plenty of other great and cool stuff. So yeah, glad to be here. Well, I can't wait. I, you know, one of the things that I always like to talk about is what kind of food are you going to get to eat there? Because that's always a deciding factor for me on any riding adventure, or really any holiday adventure I go on. So why don't we uh, head to the show where we can, uh, you know, talk about horses, talk about food, talk about fun things. So uh, let's go to the show. Let's go. We are explorers. We are trailblazers. We love to do what cannot be done. We love to test our limits, cross borders, and we love the freedom horses bring us. We seek lands without fences. Who are we? We are equestrian adventuresses. We are a community of women who love horses, travel, and adventure. To infinity and beyond! And now your hosts, Uta and Heather. What if... You could have the adventure of your dreams. Enjoy your free time with your horse going out and about. The Equestrian Adventuresses created a workshop with 18 experts to tell you how to achieve this with and for your horse. We asked all of them to share their biggest mistakes and their strategies which brought them to where they are today. We asked them what they would have done differently in the first place so that you can learn directly from them. In this workshop you will. Learn strategies from our experts to succeed in having adventures with horses. Increase the speed while learning secrets our experts share with you. Get inspired. Sometimes we forget how important it is to just dream. This workshop will give you inspiration and motivation to fulfill your dreams. Our 18 experts are incredibly talented horsemen and women from different fields and countries and they have shared amazing insights and tips. Some of them are Kelly Wilson from New Zealand, who talks about what wild horses teach us, how to read horses, and how liberty work helps us in our relationship with our horse. Jonathan Field from Canada, who talks about how to stay safe with horses, and how trail riding can help you with your general riding skills. Sarah Cuthbertson from Ride Like an Athlete tells us all about riders' fitness and how to prepare your body for an adventure. Sandra Schmidt from Ireland gives advice about how to prepare for an overnight camping trip with horses and about what equipment and gear is necessary. Charlotte Kingsman Chaudhry talks about how to manage our emotions to have a better relationship with our horses. Kathleen Leonard tells us about the biggest mistakes new long riders make and how not to long ride. 
And these are just some examples. There are many more. Additionally, there are bonus panel discussions about different topics such as saddlebags, tipping etiquette, when, what to do what, when you're injured while riding abroad, and many more. All this you can access from the comfort of your home or listen to while driving out to work or to the stable. We have also added behind-the-scene footage and you will receive a goal-setting workbook to put your new knowledge to work. You can get all this for a special price of just $27 as a limited offer. You can find our virtual workshop on the Equestrian Adventurers' website and I will also add the link in our show notes. Just click on it and start fulfilling your dreams about adventuring with horses. And here we are back again talking all about Austria. And uh, we already mentioned it's a super interesting country. We have discussed a couple of uh, things about Austria already. And today we want to, well, talk a little bit more about in general, what you can see, what's there, what you can eat. I know you always love that, Heather. And I'm totally with you here because Austria has amazing food. Um, I think Austrians are the only people who eat sweet stuff for main course, not only for dessert. And um, yeah, it's always super yummy. And I love being there and eating all this delicious Austrian food. And then, of course, we all know it's, of course, well known for the Alps, for the mountains. But very few people know that, in fact, um, there is three geographical areas in Austria. We have the high mountains. We have slightly lower mountains in the north, north of the Danube River. And we actually have a step in the east of the country, a, a large plain, um, which basically starts in Austria and continues in Hungary. So it's a super diverse country. We have beautiful cities. I mean, um, there's Vienna, there's Salzburg. We all know Mozart, of course. He was born in Salzburg. It's a beautiful city. There's Innsbruck, Graz, Eisenstadt, Linz. There's so many beautiful places really to visit. Um, yeah. Um, what is your favorite thing about Austria, Heather? Well, it's been a few years since I was in Austria. I was so very fortunate. Um, I had the opportunity to do uh, a river cruise on the Danube. Uh, we started in Passau and we sailed uh, down the amazing river throughout. Uh, we went to Salzburg, we went to Linz, we went to Dresden. Um, no, that's not right. It'll Budapest. come back to me. Uh, yeah, Vienna and then into, into Budapest. But we did um, this amazing bike ride. Uh, where we rode along the river. Now we did use a little bit of cheater bikes because they were those e-bikes, which is kind of the new trend now. So we went about 30 kilometers that afternoon. Um, and, you know, if there was any little incline, you just pressed a button and you still had to pedal the whole time. But it was um, it was fun that got to see this beautiful country. Uh, again, I am a big foodie. So anytime that I'm going to get, you know, food, specifically sweets um I, I'm in so you know if when when lots of people picture Austria um I think there's something you know a common denominator specifically from those of us that live in North America um is you know the little alpine um chalets up on the hill you know the cows with the bells well on our first day there our first day going out into kind of the uh, off of the river it uh we were there in april and it had just freshly snowed and it looked exactly how i pictured it to be there was like the little chalets up on kind of the little hills with the little snow-capped roofs they were beautiful uh and then of course all the cows with the bells and <laughs> it it really was uh it was something else so that that's uh one of my 
favorite memories of Austria? Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much in Austria pretty much once a year or something like this. I just came back from Austria. I was there uh, 10 days, 12 days ago, even though it was a bit of cheating because it was a part of Austria, which is very close to Germany. You can only access it from Germany. So it's more like a mix between both. So it's, I mean, Austrians and Germans are quite close to each other anyway. We both speak the same language, even if Austrians have their own little dialects in different parts of the country, but we are very close in, in culture and, um, and other stuff. So let's first get a couple of, of facts here uh, about Austria. Uh, the Republic of Austria is a small uh, landlocked country in Central Europe. The capital city is Vienna, which is with 2 million inhabitants, also the largest city in the country. And picture this, Austria only has 9 million inhabitants. So you can imagine that a lot of them live in the capital. It's bordered by Germany in the northwest, the Czech Republic in the north, Slovakia to the northeast, Hungary to the east, Slovenia, Italy to the south, Switzerland, and Liechtenstein to the west. So you can see that's a typical Central European country with lots of borders with other countries. Nowadays, everyone is in the European Union of these countries. I'm just thinking, yes, um, that's correct. So it's very easy to travel from one place to the other. You can just drive. Um, we went on a holiday in Austria last year, and then we drove to Slovenia, to Italy, uh, and then we continued into Croatia. Um, so this is a typical European voyage. You can uh, just drive into other countries, and it's usually not very far. Um, as you mentioned already, it's, it's an Alpine country, so we all consider Austria at mountains, cows, bells, little chalets, skiing in winter. But then, as I mentioned already, there's also other parts of Austria, which are equally interesting, very nice also to visit. Very, very varied. The country itself is very varied, actually. Very interesting to see the different parts. Um, you have um, the Pannonian Plain, as I mentioned, all in the east. And above the river Danube is the Bohemian Forest. So that's like a hilly area, which is very beautiful for riding as well. So the country basically is situated between Lake Constance in the west, which is a big lake bordering Germany, Switzerland and Austria, um, an alpine lake and to the Neusiedler Sea or Neusiedler Lake in the east, which is a total steppe lake. So there is pretty much every geographic um thing in the middle in between these two lakes they're totally different and uh, show the vast geographical difference of this very small country um austria's most important waterway you mentioned already is the danube river uh, you can do beautiful river cruises there um, as you've done um, it's a beautiful river it's a very it's europe's second longest actually which originates in germany then crosses the length of austria and continues into eight other european countries five capital cities are situated on the danube river so that's I think, a uh, world record. Um, yeah, three major ranges of the Alps run through Austria from west to east. And the highest mountain is the Grossglockner uh, with 3,797 meters. That's pretty high. Um, it's interesting. It's an interesting country uh, if you look a little bit at the history because it was um, the Republic of Austria was founded only in 1918 after Basically, the split of Austria-Hungary, which was an empire with an emperor after World War I. And before that, uh, basically, yeah, um, it was this big empire, Habsburg Empire. You probably heard about it. The Habsburg family kind of had very advantageous marriages all through the continent. So they had basically territory in Spain and the lower lands in the Netherlands, in Austria, in Hungary, and in large parts of Eastern Europe, uh, creating this huge empire with lots of different nationalities, lots of different languages. Um, yeah, and this one, 
uh, emerged as Europe's one, one of the most powerful nations in the 18th or kind of 19th century, even though by the end of the 19th century, its power has had declined quite quite a lot because um, during the age of nationalism, it became more and more difficult to deal with all the the, the different people in in the country. There were Austrians, there were Hungarians, there were Croats, there were Czechs, there were Poles, Serbs, Slovaks, Slovenes, Ukrainians, Russians, etc., etc. So laws had to be issued in eight different languages. So this was, of course, very complicated. And uh, when World War One hit, uh, basically it started off with the assassination of Crown Prince Franz Ferdinand and his wife in Sarajevo 1914, which was the immediate uh, reason for World War One. Um, yeah, this this set um, something in motion, which ended with the total rupture of the of this empire and uh, the creation of a lot of different countries. So the monarchy ceased to exist, and Austria was shrunk into a German-speaking republic. Um, till today, still, Austria has a lot of ties with its neighboring country, particularly the eastern and southeastern European countries. So you see um, that Vienna has a lot of flights into uh, the Balkan countries, into eastern European countries, and there's still a lot of trading ties as well. Um, one of the things tourists love about Austria is its culture, right? First and foremost, I think it's classical music and composers. We all know Mozart. Uh, who was born in Salzburg and lived almost all his life in Vienna, of course, traveling a lot as well in between. Um, then Vienna was the the city with a lot of music. You have a lot of composers such as Beethoven. Uh, then was Johann Strauss, uh, Josef Haydn. A lot of different composers were there in the classical period. Till today, Vienna is famous for its philharmonica, for its state opera, for its boys choir. And if you have a chance of ever going to Austria and you have a chance of attending one of these um, cultural institutions, it's really worthwhile. So um, you should definitely go ahead and do it. Another music of Austria, of course, is the yodeling. I think we talked briefly about it in, in, our, Swiss, in our Swiss episode, right? Didn't we, Heather? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's definitely something which was developed in the Alps, not only in Switzerland, but also in Austria. Um, probably something to do with calling in the cows. Um, and it's big part of Austrian culture till today, you can say. Austrian cities are legendary. Visit Salzburg with its castle and the birth house of Mozart. Or go to Graz, which is a UNESCO World Heritage City with a beautiful old city. Uh, you have an upper city and a lower city and you have a slide. So you can actually slide down from the upper city and a tunnel down to the lower cities, which is pretty cool. Um, then, of course, you have the mountains of Austria, which are legendary for skiing in winter, hiking or mountain biking and summer riding as well, of course. And um, yeah, hiking and biking trails, which are, which are really well marked. You have riding bridleways as well um, in different areas. So it's really a great outdoor country, a great country to do sports in. And uh, you have everywhere, whether it's summer or winter, you have tiny little huts, uh, which often provide you with basic food and uh, drinks. So um, you can always find something to eat everywhere and a place to rest for a little while. Um, yeah, traveling in Austria. Um, traveling is, how would you describe it, Heather? Do you think it's a cheaper country to travel or, or did you find it quite expensive? Um, well, I guess it really depends on, you know, what you're, what you're really looking for. If you want, you know, it, and what season you're at, you know, when you're in the peak of ski season, of course, uh, you know, things are going to be, you know, they, they traditionally price their things based on, you know, if we're going to have lots of tourists here and there's going to have limited space, 
uh, it'll be more expensive because uh, like, well, they don't have a choice. They have to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did find it in general. It wasn't as as expensive. Um, and now, you know, it really, and again, what are you buying? Are you buying um, just coffee or are you buying, you know, ancient art or, you know, that, that kind of stuff, it really does, um, does make a difference on when you're traveling and where, whereabouts. Um, yeah. Like now, right now with the price of fuel being so crazy, crazy, you know, perhaps taking, you know, taking the train or taking um, a bus may be a, a better opportunity than having a car rental and, and those kind of things for getting around. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I think um, you you pictured quite nicely there. I think it's a medium cost country. Um, we personally find Austria cheaper to travel in than, say, France or um, Sw- definitely Switzerland. Switzerland is uh, crazy expensive. So Austria is somewhere not that expensive. But again, of course, Vienna is more expensive than some of the smaller cities. And if you go into peak season, it, you have to shell out more for accommodation and uh Uh, food than maybe in the in the off season or in the shoulder season um you can camp around if you want to save some money camping is is a big uh to do in in austria you have plenty of beautiful camping spaces you can bring campers or or tents even and that's not so expensive and then hostels and hotels uh bnbs are actually also not too expensive so um yeah you can it's a medium expensive country i would say yeah um medium expensive i like that (laughs) yeah i mean i don't think a lot of i think in europe only possibly southeastern europe is is really cheap or eastern europe i think the rest of europe is all medium to high expensive but yeah compared to switzerland definitely you'll find that a lot cheaper so like we go for instance for skiing we always go to austria we never go to switzerland it's just so much more expensive there that we actually decided to always head to austria even though um, from the distance, it's the same for us. Yeah, we have looked at a couple of destinations. So what have you found? Okay, so the very first one, and I, I thought this was super cool. Now bear with me because some of my enunciations um, is real, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're a work in progress, I'm going to call it. So, you know, riding in Austria is, is such, is something, you know, you there's just so much, um, you know, and I read majestic scenery and I'm like, yeah, that's really what it is. It is just beautiful from high Alpine ranges, forests, meadows, lakes, they're all there, but this place, um, and it is called, uh, no, am I, how how do do I say that again? Katai. Katai. So it's Katai. It is about 30 minutes from Innsbruck and it, it makes um, a, a training camp very attractive for high altitude riders. So it comb- the Katai combines all the prerequisites for successful high altitude training, altitude above 2000 meters suitable for stables. Um, they have experienced trainers there. Um, excellent riding terrain um, and support of the, you know, of the, of the region. Um, the positive effects of altitude training in Katai are documented in, there's lots of like several success stories in, in different articles that I read. Um, basically it is amazing for endurance, right? Endurance riders. Um, so they have, <clears throat> since the summer of 2013, guests in the Katai area have been able to explore mountains beyond 
2,000 meters above sea level on the backs of sure-footed and good-natured Icelandic horses. So that, again, draws me in because I have a big, um, you know, that's high up on my bucket list. So every time I see Icelandic horses, I'm like, ooh, there's another place I could go ride them. Um, at this particular place, they have uh, one, two, and four-hour rides, um, which will allow guests to experience the mountain, mountain landscapes at, uh, you know, particularly intensively high heights. Um, opportunities there for beginners and advanced. Um, this, this specific stable in the Katai area is called the ISI Riding Stable. Um, and now this is where Uta, you're going to have to come in. It is next to the Almafha Morel uh, between the Austin Garden and Katai. Mm. okay we'll, we'll put it the, in the show notes yeah we put it in the show notes the kutai basically is um yeah is a is a mountain area in central austria i think okay. it's what did you say was it uh, uh 20 minutes from uh innsbruck from innsbruck so it's in tyrol yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. right yeah i was there actually skiing a couple oh. of years ago so very affordable um if you're looking at you know if you're just going for like a little short ride um, one hour, 35 euro, two hours, 55 euro. If you are looking for a full day, it does, does creep up there with 150 euro. Um, but definitely it is something, um, something to, to, to see the area. Um, and again, you get to ride Icelandic horses. Um, and you know, this is an area they've brought these horses in, um, because they're ideal for the Alpine environment. Um, despite their smaller body size, they are extremely strong and they're <clears throat> and therefore can be ridden by just about anybody. Hmm. Um, equestrian sports enthusiasts, and I always like that because because, you know, lots of times you're like, oh, the horse does all the work. Um, I am an equestrian and I have to be very athletic to ride my horse. Uh, I do have a funny story to tell you about that, too. Uh, equestrian sports enthusiasts, big and small, now have the opportunity to s- explore the Katai on uh, in the surrounding areas on horseback. So, so that's something you definitely want to check out. Um, uh, summer months, obviously, because, you know, it gets a little bit too chilly, too little wintry. Uh, mm-hmm. So June, July, and August are really the best time to, uh, to visit this area. Yeah, yeah, snow can, can uh, stay quite long there because it's quite far up and there's, um, it's a pass. So there's not a lot of uh, shelter there. It's pretty exposed. So Right. It's definitely something you want to visit in summer. In winter, it was awfully cold and um, windy. Um, yeah, I mean, we have, you know, we have missed something. Um, I, I still wanted to talk with you all about Austrian food because uh, you must have tried it. So what was your favorite there? Well, I, I like I said before, I am a, a foodie. I, I like to eat. Um, sometimes it, it, you know, when, when I go to put my riding pants on, they're like, oh yeah, remember Heather, all of those apple strudels that you ate? Yeah. So, so if you are going, make sure, you know, you got to hit the gym, hit the treadmill, you know, eat the salad before the you horse, go. Right. I mean, just yeah. go, go horse riding and you can eat something. Afterwards. Yes, exactly. Burn so weigh all these calories. So, you know, there are a few things that are basically classical Austrian, you know, they do have um, some national dishes, um, but they have a really strong um, relationship. And, and actually, it's interesting, Canada has always been referred to a melting pot of cultures. 
Um, but I read an article that said Austria is really a melting pot of flavors um, because it's been so strongly influenced by their, their bordering countries or, or neighboring yeah. regions, Italy, Germany, Hungary, all having, you know, real strong influences on the cuisine in that area. Yeah, true. Um, so, so a couple of the ones, and, and I, I did find quite a few, but the, the first one is called a Tafelspitz. Very famous. Um, so it's one of the most popular dishes that can be found in Austria. And the name refers to a cut of meat that is known as the tri-tip, which we're fairly familiar here in North America. Um, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a boiled brief, beef broth, which is then served with horseradish, root vegetables, spices, and minced apples. And again, you, you, you add the sweet in there of the apples. Um, this classic will be most likely on all the menus of every restaurant you come across with, um, along with, you know, some variation or twists on it to, uh, to make the dish even more exciting. And, uh, you know, when you think about that, you know, warm broth and root vegetables, that's very homey kind of feel. The next one, and everybody's going to know about it, is the Wiener Schnitzel. Um, you know, the dish is a, a thin breaded and deep fried um, dish, usually made of veal. But it is interesting when you go through and, and, and some people are very controversial over that, uh, over, over eating veal. So you will see it made with pork and chicken. Uh, the meat is butterflied, whipped together with eggs, breadcrumbs um, in order to make it very light. And then it's fried to a crispy texture. Um, the traditional Wiener Schnitzel in Austria is generally served with Kopf salad or another form of salad such as cucumber or potato salad. Any schnitzel in Austria is called Wiener schnitzel, um, and it needs to be made from veal, but we do know that they do make it from uh, pork and chicken. Yeah. Um, so many other ones. The, <clears throat> the apple, apple strudel is a popular pastry dish, often associated with Vienna in particular. Uh, traditional apple strudel, then the and the thin apple-filled pastry, which includes cinnamon, sugar, and raisins. This is a perfect breakfast or dessert dish and is often accompanied by a cup of coffee, like apple strudel and coffee. That's like, that'd be fine. I'll have that for breakfast. Oh, yeah, there's nobody here, so nobody's making me that for breakfast. Um, very popular in Austria, almost every little coffee shop or, or you go into, uh, well, every coffee shop you're going to, they're going to have this on the menu. Um, but there's, there's lots of other things like they like the bread. Um, I have, I have learned that all of my European favorite places to go to, um, bread is, is the number one staple, um, uh, which, which isn't good for my waistline, but, but I definitely like it. Um, I did find one that in it, uh, oh, they talked about, I found one on us. Austrian mac and cheese. So there's a big thing going on in North America right now because it used to be called uh, Kraft is a big, big brand here. Kraft macaroni and cheese. And now they've actually just dropped it and taken the word macaroni out. And now it's just mac and cheese. So I'd be very curious to taste this Austrian um, mac and cheese um, just to uh, to see how it compares. Um, but it's made with... Um, a herb egg noodle um, and you put the push the dough through a, a colander into boiling water once it's cooked uh, you add it to a buttery skillet full of caramelized onions and plenty of cheese emmental or giroux 
uh, are the best options for this. And now that just makes me honey hungry. It's like 7.30 in the morning where I am. And I shouldn't be thinking about macaroni and cheese, let alone pasta. But boy, that does sound really good. Um, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, Ucha, when it comes to food, because of course I'm reading all of these things like sweet yeast rolls, scrambled pancakes, um, potato salad. Now, traditionally, because that that uh, you do that is a, a, a tr- very traditional side dish in Austria, in Germany. But why is it warm? Why do you serve your potato salad warm versus cold, not, like not we do necessarily. here? Not necessarily. I, I'm to be honest, I'm not a big um, expert on potato salad. I don't like it generally, so I don't eat it much. But it's usually mostly it's not served warm at least not in germany i'm not sure about austria because i've never tried it there uh, we serve it cold with sausages which are sometimes heated up or warm so it depends really so yeah i i'm not sure i'm the expert on that one oh, interesting well the last one i wanted to share was um because i know that in this day and age that you know because they eat a lot of bread in europe and a lot of all of those kind of things but there is this potato goulash which kind of has a Hungarian stew mix on it um, that it's using meat and potatoes uh, and a lot of paprika from their friends over in Hungary. But it is completely um, the Aus- Austrian version of it is meatless, gluten free and totally vegan. So um, so when they put their spin on the easy potato goulash, you can uh, for gluten and uh vegan friends there is an option there so but if you want to eat anything sweet this is your place sweet rolls they have rum soaked raisins in different things apricots um so many amazing things uh pancakes pancakes everything yes yes and we even have something called the kaiserschmann which is basically uh thick pancakes uh cut into small small pieces and eaten with uh well with apple jam and uh, as you mentioned these raisins soaked in rum the rum raisins uh, are usually put on top of that um that's something kaiserschmann actually means literally uh kind of um a schmann is something stupid and kaiser means emperor so it's a kind of a very funny called named dish uh anyway my yeah Sorry, I just one last thing to you know a classic filling: raspberry jam, Nutella, apricot jam. Yeah, all of those and any anything with sweet, you're going to be able to find it there. Yeah, and you know one of my favorite dishes, which is actually a main course, is called the Gamknödel. So the Gamknödel basically is a fluffy yeast dough dumpling. So um, it's really really fluffy, quite big. And it's filled with spiced plum jam. And uh, this plum jam, what we call a uh, povidl, um, it's quite sweet and usually spiced with some clove and cinnamon. And uh, yeah, that whole thing is served hot with uh, melted butter and poppy seeds or with a vanilla sauce. Ooh, and that that's good. just amazing. That's my, whenever I'm in Austria, I have to order that at least once. And as I said, it's like a main course, but it's sweet. So it's it's heaven for me, actually, this Gamknödel, you should definitely try that out when you're there in Austria the next time. Perfect. Now, where, where, tell me, why don't you tell me about some of the places that you've gone riding or, or that uh, riding adventures can take place? Yeah, one of the main um, riding areas actually in Austria is the Mühlviertel. Translated, it basically means Miller's Quarter. Like Austria, ha- the Austrian states are basically 
uh, divided in what they they call quarters, the fiddle. Um, nowadays, they have, of course, more modern um, states and districts and whatever. But uh, the old regions still are known by their old names. So the Mühlviertel is basically uh, one of the four traditional quarters of, of Upper Austria. So it's line, it's it's all in the northwest of the country, um, bordering Germany, basically Bavaria, the German state of Bavaria, and Bohemia and the Czech Republic to the north. Um, so the whole area is also called uh, the three country quarter, uh, quarter or three country corner because you can basically um, ride pretty much over the borders and you end up in, in Czech Republic or in Germany if you go one way or the other. Um, so the countryside there in the Mühlviertel is characterized by rolling hills. It's not too high. It's not uh, the high mountains. Um, it's disconnected by the Alps. So it's more of a lower mountainous area. So it's more rolling hills, really. There's forest, there's some fields, there's meadows. Uh, I think the highest elevation is around uh, 1,300, 1,400 meters. And pretty much the low points are around 200, 250 meters, which is close to the Danube or inside the Danube River. Uh, what makes this region very special is its natural beauty, because you have these small rivers which have been kept in the natural states. You have this beautiful, very varied landscape of hills, um, forests, and you have meadows. So it's it's very varied. You ride always up and down, up and down. You have the beautiful little farmsteads situated in different places. It's not high mountains, but it's very beautiful for riding because you have beautiful bridleways. You have um, hiking paths, so it's a lot. It's a big hit for horse riding, for hiking, for bicycling as well. And there is like really, really countless farms where you can rent horses, outfitters there, which organize like whole uh, trips of three, four, five, six days. Uh, or you can even bring your own horse and um, you can find accommodation, either staying in one place and just heading out for riding every day in a new direction or ride like a whole round. So uh, the whole area has more than 700 kilometers of bridleways, um, paths and little roads, which are directly designed to be ridden on for horses. There's maps showing where you can ride, where you're allowed to ride. And uh, yeah, as I mentioned, you can rent horses everywhere. You can bring your own horse. And it's really one of um, Europe's prime trail riding and, and horse holiday regions. Um, there's a new trail, which they have recently opened for horse riding as well. That's the St. John's Pilgrimage Trail. So it was before a hiking trail where you can go to different places and different stations of the life of this local you know, patron, I don't know, I local saint, whatever. I have no idea who that was because I'm not very religious, but um, whatever, they made it into a couple of cute stations where you can learn more about his life and about, you know, your own balance and whatever. Or you can just enjoy the beauty of the, of the area. So the total ride is 112.5 kilometers long. So it takes about five to six days to complete it. Depends how fast you want to go or how much you want to enjoy. And there's farms and little BNBs along the way offering accommodation for horse and riders. So that's really a lovely, lovely trail, particularly if you want to, say, ride with your own horse, bring your own horse there. Or if you just want to rent out horses, there's outfitters offering this uh, St. John's Trail um, as a as a complete tour, of, including accommodation and horses. And as you mentioned before, horse riding is not that expensive in Austria. There's a lot of more places where it's actually more expensive. So you can find um, something in, you know, you it's you don't need to be bankrupt in order to, to ride in Austria. So it's, this is definitely one of the areas where horse riding is really fun and a beautiful landscape for horse riding. So it's for riding and hiking and biking. It's one of the favorite places, I guess, in Austria. 
Which is really nice that there's those opportunities because, you know, as adventuresses, sometimes we are traveling with some non-equestrian folk. Um, So, you know, if, if we can go for, you know, even if it's just go for an afternoon hack, a a one or two hour ride, then maybe our traveling, maybe they go for a bike ride, maybe they go for a walk, that there still is opportunities for, it's not just horse stuff. Um, So there is opportunity if you're traveling with your friends that they can do or spouses, children, they can have an activity while you do an, a, you know, a riding activity. So I, I really like that, uh, that more and more, and, and we're seeing that here in, um, in some of the national parks and regional parks in Canada, that there's like biking trails, but then horses are welcome. And so something for everyone. Yeah, exactly. What's your next uh, destination on the list? So the next place that I have is, um, so it's a horse farm, uh, Coasher Mineral uh, by Ravelsberg. Um, so this farm has been around for about over 250 years. Um, you know, they've used to have raised cattle there and horses. And now um, the, uh, since 1982, horses have kind of came back and, allowed them to continuously develop um, their riding stables, um, warm bloods, hofflingers um, in, in this particular area. Um, but it's so great because like you said, there's these places where you can just go pick up, you know, rent horses or bring your own um, and, you know, ride through the, they have guided rides. They have go out in on the trails by yourself um, through the, Hosrook Forest. Um, they have rides every day, including the weekends and the, the big holidays. The rides starting at 10 or at 2, um, depending on the season. They do have some that go out um, after 5. Um, as a beginner or a return returnee, like they like to call it, um, horseback riding on an experienced horse in a guided group or by yourself. Um, the horses are you know, sure-footed, well-suited, you know, they, they match up everybody. Um, and the rides really are based on everyone's experience. So if you're one, like you said, you know, depending on how fast you want to go, uh, you know, if, if you're traveling with or riding with a group that, you know, everyone feels comfortable with canters and those type of things that those opportunities, um, are there. Um, there are, you know, many different bridal paths within these forests, which make it super fun. Um, there's lakes there. Um, let's see here. Um, yeah, so, so from the farm that you're able to ride directly on the bridal path into the forest, most of the time the ride takes about an hour and a half, but depending on the pace and adapted to the wishes of the, uh, of the guests that, you know, they can extend it or, or shorten it up. Um, they have a programs there for every, you know, if you're just learning to ride, uh, they have opportunities for some uh, lessons and those type of things. Um, and again, cost wise, you know, you're really looking at uh, some really modest pricing. Um, and something that's super cool about this place um, is that you can stay there. Um, and they do have like a little apartments on the farm. They have cottages on the edge of the forest. They even have, you know, if you want to bring your dog. Uh, all of those kind of things. So um, about 28 euro um, to go for for an hour long ride. Um, If you're going by yourself or versus a group, 
Um, they do have different packages if you have a group of like seven to 10 people or four to six people. Um, but staying on the farm, uh, an overnight stay per person, including breakfast, is 40 euro. So that's, oh, that's, uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty um, good. And if you stay more than four nights, that actually drops down to 36 euro. Now, if you want to stay in you know, a holiday home on the edge of the forest, uh, again, 44 euro a night. Uh, and if you stay more than four nights, it's only 40. Um, so, you know, of course, in, in, in everywhere now, there's a, a tourism local overnight tax of about two euro a person. So, so, you know, be prepared to see some of those type of things. But, you know, it, it is really something um, that, you know, you can go and spend a few days and enjoy the forest, enjoy the bridal paths, enjoy the lakes. Um, it, it really is. Now, this area, um, what did I call it, Uta? The Rabelsberg area. So that is more central, right? Is that what you said? I, I have no idea, really, because I, I, I don't know where it is situated at the moment. If you know the state it's situated in, I could give you an idea. Well, but uh, AMP Affelwang? I'll look it up and we'll put it in the show notes because yeah, definitely. How, I, how I'm enunciating it is not making much sense. So, um, yeah, but it is, you know, it's a family uh, run farm um, that they have all these uh, opportunities to go riding. So uh, when we're looking for these little adventures and those kind of things, some of these ones are super fun where it is a little bit off the beaten path, but you save a little bit of money, but you get to see some really cool things by some people who have put their heart and soul into it. You know, this uh, horse farm really, you know, it's been there for 250 years. So obviously over the generations, they've really, uh, yeah. yeah, put a lot of hard blood in there, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, I, I have one more destination as well on the list. And this is something I've uh, been a couple of times. It's actually close to where my grandmother came from it's um the national park Neusiedler See, which means the Neusiedler lake which is as i mentioned it already it's a big step lake all in the eastern part of austria actually stretching into hungary because three quarters of the lake belong to austria one quarter belongs to hungary roughly um and that's a very un-austrian like area i guess um, there are no more mountains, but there is only steps. So this is what they call the Pannonian step uh, or step land, which starts stretching out there into Hungary. Um, so the area is also called Seewinkel. As we mentioned, it's all called uh, these winkels, uh, these quarters. So it's the lake quarter. And it's a region of really intense beauty and home of a lot of birds and animals, which are not found anywhere else except in this region, because you have uh, really this giant plain, the steppes plains, it's fairly dry. We have hot summers, cold winters as well. Um, and it's one of the few real steppe lakes in Europe, the small brother of the larger Balaton Lake in Hungary and the largest lake in Austria, even though the average depth of the lake is only about a meter, right? So oh. it's a very shallow, shallow lake. Wow. Uh, still, you can drown there uh, regularly when there are storms. Um, some of the of the boats vanish and uh, people actually die there as well, even though it's just one meter of hmm. uh, depth in the lake. Uh, in winter, the, the lake is often frozen over and the area around the lake is part of, or part of it is part of the national park, uh, Neusiedlersee, uh, which today is a World Heritage Site shared by Austria and uh, Hungary as well. The Hungarian um, place there is called uh, Fatu. Um, Till today, actually, some of the parts of the shoreline belong to the Esterhazy family, which is a, 
or you used to be one of the first uh, of one of the biggest noble families of Austria-Hungary. Um, Esterhazy is a Hungarian name, but I think the main castle is there's a big castle in Austria. There's a big castle as well in uh, in Hungary. Uh, the Hungarian castle nowadays belongs to the state because, of course, it used to be a socialist country. While in Austria, the the areas belonging to the family still are there. Um, are theirs basically to half so what's interesting the lake um, has a large reed area so you have a lot of uh, growth of reed along the shorelines and there's one part it's basically the western shore of the lake there's little houses built into that so a couple of years ago we went there and we rented one of these it's holidays homes it's not really big houses there's no electricity many do not have um Uh, proper running water because they're not connected to the shore you have to use a boat to get there and they have big water tanks then some are connected um, to water lines on the shore but none of them has any electricity so you have usually solar panels they're very very basic but it's very beautiful because you are disconnected from the from the shore you're away from the cities and villages you always need a boat to get back on proper on dry land um so it's a very peaceful holiday there and uh, you basically just have some geese and some ducks as company um i still remember we had a family of ducks always uh overnighting on our on our little you know where we kept the boats uh on this wooden um planks and uh they used to you know every night they they were just making a lot of mess there you know shitting all <laughs> over the place so in the morning we had to clean that up again um but still it was a lovely lovely holiday we had beautiful weather it was hot and sunny and we enjoyed really the water sports because um the noisy lazy is very famous for water sports you have kiting you have uh sailing Uh, there's a bit of windsurfing as well. Um, they have beautiful little villages and small towns around the edge. So um, you can sit there in summer in the evening and listen to the storks sitting on top of the houses. Usually all the houses have little nesting places for the storks. So you can um, hear them clop, clop, clop every, every evening because they make a lot of noises with their beak. And the National Park is interesting as they use the Persevalsky horses uh, in order to keep the land free of trees and bushes. So it's a cultural area. It's a cultural region. It's not really a very natural place anymore. But uh, because of these horses and some some big cattle as well, um, some they also use old types of cattle. I'm not very sure what kind they use. Um, the area really is kept the way it, it is, open a couple of bushes but usually generally really just meadows really just this uh, open step so it's interesting if you cycle or you ride you can do both there's a couple of outfitters um, places they are situated inside the national park or very close to it and they offer rides you can do i think um two hours half day day rides as well as multiple day rides um and uh, you can see these these semi wild horses there uh grazing uh in the countryside and they basically serve their purpose right they are there for for the course of keeping this area the way Uh, it has always been so it's really interesting to go there it's it's an area famous for wine so there's tiny little restaurants everywhere on the austrian side as well as on the hungarian side uh, you can drink wine you can eat small little dishes we call these small restaurants we call them heuringer they are little wine restaurants so you basically get different types of wines because they're usually associated with the vineries or with the vineyards and uh, then you can eat small you know bread and cheese and some sausages not really big dishes but small small stuff to eat so that's very famous for that part of austria so this area is the eastern the most the easternmost state of austria it's called the burgenland in that area so this is a really 
beautiful and very un-Austrian like uh, area. So if you want to experience uh, the other part of Austria, um, this is the place to go basically. And it's close to Vienna. Um, so you can basically fly into Vienna and drive down to uh, to the Neusiedler Lake. It takes about an hour and a half, I'd say, or an hour even. If you just go to the North Shore, you reach then about an hour, hour and a half. Yeah, I guess. Don't really remember it that well, but it's not that far. So Vienna is um, basically your closest airport. You can also go to Eisenstadt, which is the capital city of the Burgenland. But um, I think it's very small, so I'm not sure they have an international airport. Wow. Well, that, you know, it's funny. Every time we do one of these, do a destination episode and, you know, I've done some research, you've done your research and I'm like, Oh, another place I want to go. Like I I was watching, um, there's a show on Netflix called last kingdom and uh, there it takes place in about the 900th century or something like that, but they do lots of riding and lots of, you know, the, the main character rides this big, beautiful black horse and I did, I'm like, where is this filmed? It's so beautiful. And it was along the Austrian-Hungarian border. So, mm-hmm. uh, so maybe that's another place to add to my, uh, add to my bucket list. My bucket list is so long. I, I, I should just make a places I'm for sure going to go to soon. <laughs> and then, uh, and then the real special ones, I will have to start making a, a travel fund saving again for that. Yeah. I've also thought already we should basically start with our bucket list with our bucket list very soon because uh, we are both not getting any younger, so we pro- probably should start traveling everywhere we want to go because uh, there's just so many places. I'm totally with you there, Heather. Every time we do a horse destination episode, or I'm even when I'm talking with interesting guests from all around the world uh, for this podcast, um, I think, wow, that sounds like a great place to go. You know, right. so it's it keeps on getting longer and longer and I try really to go to places at least twice a year or something. And, um, every time I cross something off my bucket list, like the same four month, more ad. Yes. Kind <laughs> of. <laughs> so it's really bad. Um, and before we finish, I want to, um, tell you just about one more place, which is really, really special. It doesn't have anything to do with horses. So I'll just keep it short and sweet. There's another place in Styria in Southern uh, Austria, which is amazing. It's not, doesn't have anything to do with horses, but uh, maybe you're familiar with the painter called Friedensreich Hundertwasser. Now he was a very famous Austrian painter and architect. Uh, so he designed houses and made paintings and he was the guy who hated straight lines. So all his paintings are like fairly modern and they're all round circles, different, different colors. And like this, he designs his houses. They're really all mad. Um, they are all really, really cool, but they're all little like mad. Like he paints them in different colors and they, they don't have any straight lines. They're round and circles and whatever. Wow. And he, he designed in uh, in Styria, in the little place, in a, it's a tiny town called Bad Blumau, um, he designed a thermal spa. Now, this Ooh. thermal spa, there's two hot uh, springs there in, in this area. And there is this thermal spa, the building he designed, a little hotel as well. So if you want to go and stay there overnight, you can. I mean, the hotel is not very cheap. It's a four-star hotel. But you can also just go and visit the spa for the daytime and stay somewhere a little bit more reasonable. And it's very beautiful because um, of this, it's a typical spa and the whole thing really is in nature. Um, I think they have these two hot springs. They have a number of different pools from really cold water to hot water. 
And uh, you can just, you know, there is a sauna as well. There is uh, different pools. It's very relaxing. You have a relaxing garden to lie in, an indoor air, uh, area to lie and rest uh, if it's cold outside. So it's really cool. And the, the, the buildings are, I, I try to find a picture and, and post it into the show notes or at least the link to, to the spa um, because it's, it's amazing. It looks as if the architect was starkingly mad you know it looks a little bit like a cross from alice in wonderland with i don't know something extremely modern um they have this typical roofs um made into gardens and you know covered by grass so a good friend of mine the photographer christian slavik she has a photography a horse photography course in that spa every year and they actually put horses on the roof and make photos of that it's wild it's really wild awesome. huh, i'll yeah. have to check that out Definitely. So if you're anywhere in Austria and you feel like having a little bit of a spa experience, head there. It's it's a one one in a in a lifetime place. Perfect. Well, that sounds fantastic. Well, everything about Austria sounds fantastic. We get food and horses and um, spa. Yeah. What else? What else do you need besides that? Like mountains. That's amazing. Mountains. Exactly. And, and really, um, one of my very favorite places that we did, like you mentioned at the beginning, uh, the Spanish Riding School in Vienna. Uh, you know, I marked that off my bucket list, but I, I'm, I only put a small check mark because I was only there for a couple hours. I, it, it needs a full, a big check mark. So I probably need to go back and see that again. So, and take, see, take in one of the big shows. We were just saw some training ex- exercises. Yeah. So yeah, me too. Yes. Me too. I also have never seen a big show, just training, morning training and then to visit the stables. It's definitely a big must, a big have to for every equestrian, for every horse lover in the world, yeah. um, because it's such a unique place. And I was just reading uh, the other day, they're looking for a new, um, they're looking for a new manager. So if anyone is interested oh. in the job, go ahead. I think they haven't <laughs> found anyone yet. Perfect. Well, it was great, great chatting with you today. Yeah, it was an amazing episode about one of my favorite countries. And as I said, kind of a country I consider my home. Um, and uh, I'm definitely going to be there again, hopefully this winter for skiing. Perfect. And that's it for today's episode. Heather and me want to thank you very much for tuning in to the Equestrian Adventuresses podcast, the show for women who love horses, travel, and adventure. Are you missing a topic or have an interesting story to tell? Contact us through our Facebook group or send us an email on podcast-show at equestrianadventuresses.com. For all information on this episode, check out today's show notes. You can find the link in your podcast player window or just go to the Equestrian Adventuresses website under podcast. Here you can find all the information about our virtual workshop, Adventuring with Your Horse, our latest free travel guidebook, The Ultimate Equestrian Adventuresses Bucket List, or our 1000 Miles Challenge. So long, everybody. Happy trails.